You are Locked On Wizards, your daily Washington Wizards podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Did you call Welcome to a, another edition of the Locked On Wizards podcast. Ben Standick here. Hope you guys are uh, rocking and rolling and doing better than the uh, San Antonio Spurs officially booted out of the NBA playoffs. We officially knew that was happening, more or less, once Kawhi Leonard got hurt in game one. Big bummer there. Just simply, some, just simply for entertaining basketball, I honestly can say I... I Purposely sort of checked out of watching too much basketball here. Not too much, but I checked out a little bit after the Wizards ended, you know, putting in sort of, you know, all that time and, and whatnot. And I was going to focus a little bit more on the Cleveland Celtics thing. But, I mean, what was there to see after Kawhi's injury? It really ruined it. Um, biggest bummer, though, this could be the end of the Mono Ginobili career. Amazing career. Maybe one of these topics to get into in the offseason or deeper down the offseason path about... Uh, Hall of Fame and things like that. I think I had was having off offline discussion with somebody as the game was winding down about um, Ginobili. I, I personally think, even just based off the NBA, that he's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Even though some of his numbers don't really stand out, relatively speaking, um, I, I think that's in part because he took a bench role for most of his career, which you know kept out his minutes. But wow, holy hell, what a player! Uh, if I make a list of, if I make a, a team, the my all favorite players team with positions and you know factored in, Manu Ginobili has a spot on that team. Just it's such a creative, unique. I love the unique players, and he was one of the more unique guys in the league. The way he came in, I mean, all this talk about Euro step now. I mean, Ginobili is the one who who did that. But just just the way he attacked the 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 the, the rim, played with so much energy all the time, just made big plays. It's just so creative, and um, you know, you factor in the international part of his game, which for the basketball Hall of Fame is a it makes it a is is a real thing. It makes him a a, a mortal lock. I think I would even say first ballot Hall of Famer. But in any event, this is not the San Antonio Spurs podcast. This is about the Washington Wizards. I uh, digress there for a second. Um, on. This here podcast, I'm going to continue my conversation with my guy, Kyle Weedai from truthaboutit.net, part one, I guess it'll be part, part three-parter, part one, we we went back and looked at the series against the Celtics, the playoffs as a whole, what went, I guess, wrong ultimately for the Wizards, what were the key factors in the Wizards losing that series, we defined the key a key factor and the key moment where the, where things went wrong. Pondered whether the Wizards would actually have given Cleveland a better run than Boston, although give Boston credit for rallying Game Three to win there, uh, and and a whole bunch of other things. A good topic of conversation there. In this here part of the conversation, we're going to get into the season as a whole. Topics to include, but not limited to what was the whether this was the most fun team 
Wizards team since blank. What was the highlight of the season? And it might be a surprising one but in a certain in a certain sense. The that the season essentially came down to. I don't have to really do a spoiler here because we already talked about it a little bit in the first one, but. The season came down to, on some level, the Wizards could never find backup guards to Wall and Beal, and, and we kind of got into that specifically. We, we went back to Al Horford, and what 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 does the world look like if Al Horford makes a different decision last for agency? And, um, you know, maybe the two most interesting parts, I think, of the conversation, the idea of a Wizards Big Three and what that, and, and, and who was truly part of that, and then also, perhaps... We're all overestimating the Wizards' season, and we explain just why that is. So, a lot of good uh, conversation here again with Mr. Weedai. And then uh, another part that will come up, uh, the third part that will come up later this week, we start to look ahead to what's on tap for the Wizards this summer and beyond um, for this team. So, lots to get into. Really excited for you guys to hear the rest of this conversation here on the Locked On Wizards podcast. Uh, as always, you know the deal. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, great way to make sure that you do not miss any of these podcasts. I know it's getting close to being summertime. You're going to be footloose and fancy free running around town, doing vacations, barbecues, dealing with your kids because they're out of school or whatever it's going to be. Um, but you want to make sure that you don't miss the podcast because we're going to keep coming. So subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you do your podcasting. And you will be good to go. Of course, also follow us on Twitter at Locked On Wizards or at Ben Standing. And if you want to hit up Kyle, and you should do that, do that at Truth underscore about it. Um, I think that's all I got for you right now. So let's get into this. Uh, Mr. Kyle Weedai and I talking about the Washington Wizards 2016. 17 season. Um, let's uh, let's talk about let's let's go back to the season though a little bit. Um, the um, and, and actually let's let's stay with with that guard because the third guard thing the back the backups to the to the starter backcourt because among the things I, I I had here was truth or truthiness. The season came down on some level to the Wizards never finding a third guard, and I kind of think the answer is yeah because. For all the bench talk that we had, I mean, you know, Jason Smith helped up in the front court. Ubre, who would drive me and certainly drove Todd Dibus crazy uh, all year, you know, he helped, right? He did stuff. Yeah. Mahimi was growing Mahimi, year. Another growing year. For yeah. Him. I mean, when Mahimi came back, you know, he was uh, he, he was effective. But the fact that they never – and then they get Bogdanovich, and that obviously helped as well. The, I mean – to find a third guard is not hard, and they that they couldn't do it at all. Whatever what, whatever you want to say, if you want to say that they, uh, you know, maybe if they had a third guard, Wall and Beal's minutes aren't as high. Maybe that helps them win some games that they couldn't have won up that, that, that they lost because those guys were tired. Maybe that changes things even in the playoffs. We talked about Scott Brooks uh, earlier. We talked about Scott Brooks possibly that rotation in Game Seven. At least I was saying it more than you. That that was a problem in that game because those guys played so many minutes. It is crazy that they never had that. Now here here's just to sort of show how bad things were. You look at net rating, Marcus Thornton, and I still to this day will. Not oh be- gosh, yeah, I forgot to mention him a second ago. Yeah. Oh, 
So Marcus Please Thornton, keep going, but... Marcus Thornton was a his his net rating on the year was a minus twelve point seven. Trey Burke a minus nine point two. For for just some perspective, Brandon Jennings for all of his Brandon Jenningsness in the regular season, his net rating was one point three. In fact, of the of the other main bench guys, the worst net rating was Bogdanovich's minus one point five. And we're talking about two guys who had were minus nine point two and minus twelve point seven. And those were the two guys who realistically into the year. Were, were the backups. Um, the, the the reason I had been told on some level as to why they went with Trey Burke as John Wall's b- backup, even though Scott Brooks later said he was not a point guard, <laughs> was basically for, for the few minutes they were going to look to have as a backup behind Wall, they just didn't want to necessarily go out and spend a lot of money or give a lot of years to somebody on a contract. If I had been told that before they made the move, my counter would have been, don't look at it as the 10 minutes behind Law. Look at it like the 18 minutes behind both of them. Go find yeah. a guy who can play with both of them, and then we don't have this issue. Yeah, that I mean that is a lot of that is a lot of truth, and it it goes back to that whole embarrassing rant I went on a second ago. And of course, how could I forget to mention Marcus Thornton? Like, what were they doing? You know, what on earth were they thinking in bringing him back? And, and yeah, that, that was just such an issue this season. You know, going forward, I think Brooks, we talk about player development, and there's a lot, you know, on a roster when you think about Wall and, still, Wall and Beal, and you still need development. Uh, Port, you know, Porter, if you bring him back, Kelly Oubre. But Brooks is really going to have to, he and his staff are really going to have to figure out how they can bring – Sadoransky and, and Sheldon Mack a lot. I like Sheldon Mack's game a lot. He can um, he can attack the basket. He can he can hit from the outside. He's sort of a, he can be a dis, you know disruptor on defense. He's got the the length. So you know how those guys how how good of a summer those two guys have is going to be key. And then you think about well you know they're in the same situation. Depending on how things play out with Porter, depending on if you keep Gortat, like who can you get? Um, to be a more veteran third guard, if you will, or, or someone in the mix, and how much money are you really willing to spend on that? I mean, we, there are certainly people out there like Patty Mills or, or Darren Collison, um, or even like sometimes you think like put George Hill on the Wizards, like that would be such an asset, but they're just not going to have, I can't imagine them having the money to get any any guy like that. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll have your boy Adam Rubin on for a, uh, at some point. We're going to go through the different players and do report cards and do some things like that. And I'm sure when we get to Sadoransky, I'll have your boy Adam Rubin come on to discuss that. Um, you know, I, the playoffs always come down to almost universally, regardless of who the coach is, how much trust does the person have in that particular player? It was pretty clear with Brooks is ultimately no different than a lot of coaches where he was going to go with the veterans over the kids. So Sadoransky, even though Sadoransky, whenever he came in, always seemed focused, engaged, um, energetic. You know, he's got to work on his shooting and his ball handling. But there were definitely, especially as Jennings struggled in the playoffs, there were times where I was like, really? Come on, man. Get, uh, put Sadoransky in. I was even pushing for Burke at times, simply because he shot over 40% from three. At least that was a tangible asset. But that's how bad things were, that I'm pushing for, for Burke. And Todd would always yell at me, why is Brandon Jennings playing so much? I'm like, well, what else do you want him to do? There weren't, there weren't any other options. The fact that they, that that's just what they went with, it really is just almost baffling that that was the plan at the start of the year and, and that things worked out 
even worse than I would have <laughs> than I would have imagined um, with, uh, with with that combination. Yeah, pretty right, bad. So, so I guess we're in agreement on that. L- let's have some uplifting. I feel like everything we've talked about to this point is sort of on the Debbie Downer side of things, which is understandable because they just lost. But it was a it was a hell of a year. Forty nine wins, most in forty years. You know, one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in 40 years. Um, you know, uh, John Wall, fourth All-Star game. Bradley Beal, best season of his career. Otto Porter had something of a breakout year, I guess. Uh, Markeith Morris, so on and so on. Um, truth or truthiness, Kyle, most fun Wizards team since the Chris Webber, Juwan Howard team of 1996-97. Yeah, I think that's, that's very true, you know, due in large part to the fact that Wall and Beal were, were pretty healthy this year. And health is very fun when you have your two best players uh, on the court a lot. Yeah, I mean, like the, the previous Wall and Beal, obviously they got to essentially the same round that they did the previous few times with Wall and Beal. And Paul Pierce, I've said before, as a reporter, I've never had more fun doing anything than that Paul Pierce playoff run, you know, where he's calling game and all that stuff. Um, but in terms of the whole, the whole season, I mean, there were definitely that two and a half month stretch where the Wizards had the best record in the Eastern Conference. And the, the difference this time versus the last time was Wall and Beal, we were still, they were still sort of on the ascent and not that they're peaked at all, but they're, they've now, they're now both here. This is it. We're, we're no longer going, well, boy, wait till you see what they can do. We saw it. They both had great years. There was, you know. We'll talk more about this in a little bit about where the Wizards fit in the East, but there was reason to be to think they could legitimately beat get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I never totally bought it before. I mean, yes, the they could have beaten Atlanta if Wall doesn't hurt his hand, but you know what I mean. Like over the course of the season, I didn't necessarily um, believe it. Um, and also, I think the Scott Brooks factor. To be honest, I mean, just as we have to, we've talked about this a lot, but just as we deal with him. He's just so much lighter, so much easier than Whitman was. With Whitman, it just always felt like, and I'm sure the players felt this way too, that every day was like work. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh, boy, here we go again. Back to the coal mines. With Brooks, even, you know, all the way to the end, he was, you know, loose. Um, you know, I, I'm sure he was tough on them when, when he had to behind closed doors. But, he, you know, he definitely just has a lighter way about him, and I think that made it a lot more quote unquote fun and you know again Otto had a, something of a breakout year. Markeith Morris, I mean, come on, that dude was uh, cracking us up all year with the with his randomness. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you know, then you had those stretches like Bogdanovich goes crazy for a bit. We had some Jason Smith um, moments. So yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Um, I, I think that was the most most fun team since that Weber Howard team. Yeah, and and it's Brooks has been such a difference maker in his demeanor and the way that like he he sort of coaches his players. That that's certainly fun to watch. Um, you know, the one thing I'll say if you're if you're thinking about like oh, you know, how much did you really believe this team had the potential to go to the Eastern Conference Finals? I mean, it's sort of the same Eastern Conference we knew it was. It's basically Cleveland, and then it could have been a number of teams duking it out yeah it was sort of a surprise that boston snuck in and got the first you know seed and boston is definitely a a a solid well-coached team but you know two through eight in the east is so closely packed in together and i think that was sort of an environment that also 
you know, lent, um, you know, lent itself to being a little bit more encouraged about what the Wizards could do or where they could potentially get. Yeah, and by the way, like I don't want to for anybody who's screaming right now. Wait, what about the Gilbert Arenas teams before things went crazy? I mean, Gilbert Arenas was insane fun. I've said before, people sleep on because of all the negative vibes. Now he was the most popular athlete in town, including the Redskins, for a little bit there because he was, you know, dropping 40, 50 point games, making crazy comments. He was blogging before blogging was cool um, for, from an athlete perspective. Uh, he was a lot of fun, and, and obviously the Wizards made four straight playoffs there. Um, he had the game that game winning shot against the Bulls in round one that time. But um, so there was close. I could maybe you know I could maybe that first year point to that one, but uh, and maybe this is a recency bias, but I, I did I do think this one had more going forward than that one. Yeah, I, I think if you're talking about like Q rating, um, you know this season probably would not exceed, you know, the playoff series with the Cavs where you had, you know, Soldier Boy showing up, uh, <laughs> right. Jay-Z, Jay-Z, like, you know, putting Sean Stevenson's name in a song. Um, it, you know, that that was just sort of this whole thing um, for off-the-court stuff. But if you're talking about, like, yeah, this fun on-the-court team, again, you get back to guys staying healthy. Well, part of the issue was that some of those Gilbert Arenas teams – you know, that one year where Karan broke his hand, Gilbert got hurt going into the playoffs, and it's like, God, it, it was such a, you know, they, that was so deflating after, I think that may have been even a seer, the season where, you know, Eddie Jordan ended up being all-star coach. Um, but, but yeah, this season was fun in terms of a, a basketball sense, uh, definitely, in, in terms, especially how the Wizards, they just start off in such a frustrating way, um, but then they, then they, you know, made that run starting at the end of December through January and February. All right. Truth or truthiness. The highlight of the season was a loss. The overtime game against Cleveland here. The highlight of the season. I go truth. Yeah, I, I would I would go truth too because it was, you know, it, it was the Wizards went from not being on national TV enough, and John Wall was even complaining early in the season, and this is sort of a thing that's been over the past couple of years, then to getting added to a couple of, uh, you know, a couple of national TV nights. Uh, and then that, that was just a big, because it was on TNT. Um, it was really just a, a, you felt it was the Wizards coming out party as a team that could challenge Cleveland, but as you know, they just, they're also the team that could never even get in a position to challenge Cleveland, so... Yeah, I mean, there was so much going on there. You had the 17-game home court winning streak. You know, they had been, you know, at that point, um, they had just come out of – that was right after the All-Star break, right? Right. Right, and, they, you know, they, they kind of stumbled a little bit after the All-Star break. But, you know, they were still collectively really good um, over the course of, uh, you know, two and a half months. But, you know, they hadn't played a ton of teams that were sort of at the – you know, there's not many teams at Cleveland's level. But, you know what I mean, they hadn't played – too many real contenders, and that was a look to see that. And and not just that, everybody came out and played really well. I mean, Wall, you know, Wall was maybe the one guy who wasn't even like at tip top. But Beal played well. Otto had a good game. Um, you know, they were all making plays. And then you know, it, it took literally LeBron to hit that insane shot um, to uh, to do it. I, I know, I know, a couple of few weeks later they go to Cleveland and win, but 
I don't know. This one felt that this was the better game. I mean, I think arguably this was the game of the year in the NBA, even maybe even including the playoffs, considering how bad the playoffs have been for the most part. And yeah, it still might be yeah. the game of the year. So um, I, I think it would have to be um, have to be the game of the uh, or the, the highlight yeah. of the season, which is weird. That said, that said, if they if they beat Boston in the playoffs, you have to look back to that funeral game uh, in the regular season. Is like then that might have been the highlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. The, the, I mean, and and that goes back to the point of like how fun this was. Like. That I, I I didn't have this on my list of questions, but I was gonna say, what was the point that you believed that this actually wasn't just smoke and mirrors? And I kind of think it was the like if I had said truth or truthiness, the funeral game was the moment you believed this was for real. Because when they did that, I think a lot of people were like, oh boy, are they setting themselves up for a disaster here? They're gonna go out, they're gonna lose this game, you know, they're gonna talk, they're talking too much, they're gonna lose. And then everybody's gonna make fun of them. And then not only did they not do that, they came out and basically, you know, won, uh, you know, somewhat convincingly. And I was like, oh, they're they're walking the walk and or they're talking the talk and walking the walk. That was uh that that was definitely a big moment uh, for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Truth or truthiness. If Al Horford picks the Wizards, Washington is legitimately competing with Cleveland. Not just in this finals, legitimately competing with them. Uh, I think that that is uh, definite truth. And then you like to hope that if he had picked the Wizards, I mean, what were the other dominoes that were going to fall? Like, you, you're not signing. No Mahimi, you know, no what, Nicholson. You know, no Mahimi, no Nicholson. Maybe Jason Smith, or would, which would be fine. But, like, I, I just wonder what would be the dominoes from there. Like, would there be a... Uh, I, and I can't remember like all the different guards that moved around in free agency. It seemed like a lot, a lot of guys uh, found teams before the Wizards, you know, ultimately failed in, in trying to get guards. But you wonder who else might have been directed uh, had Horford signed with Washington, because you know that would have that would have sort of opened the floodgates a little bit more to to other free agents believing in what Washington Washington could do. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to relitigate Wizards Celtics, but the fact that that was essentially a 50-50 series and Horford was on the other side, we'll, you know, we'll see where Boston goes. Obviously, they have the number one pick in the draft. They have the, they have the cap space to potentially get a Gordon Hayward or, or somebody like that. So they, you know, by, by, the, by the time next year starts, they might be miles ahead of the Wizards. So we'll see. But, if you know, it does look like right now, if the goal on some level was to compete to win the East, you could make the argument Al Horford picked the wrong team. And I'm not saying he could have known that in advance. I'm just saying, yeah, I think the Wizards with Al Horford uh, are, are, are right there with Cleveland. Now, all that said, I always wondered if Al Horford showed up, what does that do to Mark Keith Morris? He already doesn't feel super hot about his contract. Now, what, is he coming off the bench? <laughs> it, uh, you know, who knows what that does to him. But nonetheless, yeah, I would agree. I think the Wizards compete with Cleveland legitimately if, he's, uh, if Al Horford's here. Well, and, and I think what you probably have to massage more is Gortat coming off the bench and, and starting Horford and Morris together. Well, there, I wasn't even going there because I don't think that was even going to – like, I don't think you could bring Gortat off the bench for that reason. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe not to start the season, but I, I, I think – I have a feeling Brooks would have eventually discovered that, you know, Gortat's not always the ideal – 
Now, I guess to keep him engaged, you know, you we always see, you know, Gortat getting an early shot in the game and to keep him engaged on a certain level, Brooks understood, like, keep him, you know, keep him involved. Uh, but you have to also look at things in the team context. That's why, you know, it, it was Gortat's comments, you know, toward the end of the season, like, you know, he has two more years left on his contract. I think he's saying, oh, my agent and I will reassess things. I'm like, well, uh, you bet the Wizards are reassessing things. They don't really need your agent and you do anything at this point. Right. I will, we'll definitely get back to uh, the Gortat of it all in a minute. All right. Truth or truth news. If we said the Wizards have a big three, we obviously know John Wall and Bradley Beal are two, and you got to pick the next guy. The third option is Otto Porter. Truth or truth in this? I'll answer first for you this one, Kyle. Truthiness. Because I think at this point, the, the, the third guy would be Markeith Morris. I think Markeith Morris provides so much attitude. He's the he's a difference maker for them defensively in his ability that he can guard. He's, you know, not that he's the biggest guy in the world, but he can guard guys inside. He's got agility to guard outside. He developed the three-point shot. When he left that game one, I pretty much knew it was all over. No disrespect to Otto Porter, who had, again, something of a breakout year, finished his fourth and three-point shooting. He had really, I thought he really impressed in game seven after going scoreless in game six. But if he leaves, the they have other options. And I see he's so, he's, you know, they both had need to help to get offense. I kind of think Morris right now is the third guy, if you if you said pick a big three for the Wizards. So truthiness, therefore, on my, uh, is Otto Porter the third guy? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on this one. It's definitely truthiness, and I really, I really think the Wizards are just sort of in a, a unfortunate situation in, in some regard. They're they're going to have to let Otto walk this year or figure out some sort of move because I just don't see the scenario where they should overpay him so much money, given that uh, his, his sort of deficiencies as a player. Now he is a strong player; he had a great breakout season, um, but I, I just don't think right right now. Or even for the future, he's going to be that third guy that you can pair with Wall and Beal. I mean, the, to, to not obviously bag on Otto, I mean, he's improved every single year. So if you kind of go off of that, if he gets a little bit more, he showed some more, a little more aggression off the on the dribble um, in in the playoffs. Or, but you know, he needs what he definitely needs to work on that to his ability to you know be able to get his own offense. So if they take Wall and Beal off the court, that you can kind of run the offense through him. He does. He doesn't have that yet. I don't see why he can't develop it. But in terms of keeping him, I mean, I don't think they have much of a choice but to keep him. I mean, if, if they could do a sign and trade, that's a whole other story because who knows what they're going to get back. But because of the way that, you know, with their bird rights, if they let him go, they they, they they almost have nothing. They almost can't do anything. It's not like they have all that money now open. So it's pretty much keep him for whatever it's going to take or lose him and they, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at Ubre. Uh, at the three, so I kind of think they almost have no choice but to keep him. But your point is taken; they're taking a bit of a risk. That is, he are they, they're paying a guy to be a third, the third part of that big three. And right now, I don't know if that's going to be uh, if the, if that's what he's going to be. But you know, he's improved enough to, to to I think give you hope that it can that it could happen. Yeah, I, and I think Otto, whatever he does this summer, it's very tied to his three point shot and how. You know, he really had a great first half, three quarters of the season, leading the the NBA in three-point percentage for a spell. And so that's basically what's going to get some other team to throw a lot of money at him. And that that's something the Wizards will have to think really hard about if, if they really believe that 
that Otto can be a consistent three-point shooter going forward. But what, what else the Wizards have to really think about is that although he's just a smart defensive player, he can go get you some, like, really go after rebounds. And, and they need to, they're going to have to weigh Otto's sort of glue guy abilities with the fact that he's not a, he's not a great on-the-ball defensive player. Like, he no. can get beat off the dribble a lot. And, that, and that's got to be a little bit of a concern when you have a wing like Otto, Otto Porter and you're, you're asking him to guard a lot of versatile wings, um, you know, anywhere from Carmelo Anthony to Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and he just struggles with that. So the Wizards have a lot of things to think about when, when determining how much they really value Otto this summer. Yeah, I mean, I think like the biggest thing they need to get in the offseason, they've got to get that third guard situation squared away. But they've also, I think, they need to add an athletic four because you could get away with that small ball where Markeith Morris would go play the five. But Otto, like you said, I mean, he's too small to deal with a power forward type. Like if they were playing Cleveland, he, it, you know what I mean? Like if if Cleveland put um, Kevin Love at the five to try to take Gortat off the court because he's going to go shoot threes, well, Otto has to guard somebody. <clears throat> I mean, Kevin Love, that, 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 that overtime game, Kevin Love was abusing Otto and the Wizards up front because, you know, they just didn't have anybody that could deal with more sort of trying to guard LeBron. Otto had to go off love, and that didn't work. And so I think they need that sort of athletic four guy who can sort of do some of the things Morris does. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely something to consider. But I guess my bigger point with that question is every, I think we're just so in, ingrained to think Otto is the third guy. I really think after this year, I think Morris is actually more of the third guy. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I would definitely agree with you. Um, and, and let me throw out just a, a truth or truth in this back to you um, real quick. While we're on somewhat a related uh, area, if the Wizards somehow found a way to get Otto Porter and Gortat to the Knicks in, in exchange for, a, I guess, what you would say a rental of Carmelo Anthony, is that something that would put them in a better situation, truth or truthiness? Oh, God, killing me. Um, you know what? Because you're you're factoring in not having to give like Otto a max and sort of you know getting out from under Gortat's two two years. So it's 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 not like you're 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 having to give up picks to get Carmel. And I you know I have no clue what the the cap implications or restrictions or anything. Obviously, Carmelo has a no-trade clause. If he'd even want to come to D.C., um, if I were him, I would keep my options a little bit more open, that, however. Um, but, yeah, I, I just throwing, that, throwing those noodles off the wall. Sure. It's a good, it's a good thought. My, my initial thought is just simply to say slight truthiness because my thing about Carmelo Anthony is, you know, he's a guy that the ball, you know, he wants the ball to run through him. And obviously with the Wizards, you know, you've got John Wall, um, you know, that that's how it's going to work here. I mean, and I, I don't see, unless Carmelo sort of understands, he needs to turn into more of that off the ball score. The guy who's going to run off picks and sort of get open that way. Then we could maybe have an interesting conversation. And I get, like you said, I, we're, I'm not, I don't even know exactly how the cap, how the trade would work and, um, you know, all that, but uh, Here, here's a caveat. What if Carmelo, and, and I, I feel like I saw this, and I don't know if it's just sort of a rumor or insinuation or something that 
maybe Carmelo actually alluded to, but what if he accepted a bench role? So Carmelo Anthony's like your sixth man. I mean, I guess it would still come down to the end of the game stuff, but although, although let's be realistic, as, as, as much as I'm not the biggest Carmelo guy, if you told me who's taking the last shot, Carmelo or John, I think, <laughs> I think I'd be like, well, okay, I'll go, I'll go with Carmelo in that case. Um, it's definitely interesting. I, I, I will say this. It would make the Wizards exciting as hell. There's no, you know I mean? Like, they would be on as many games as you could possibly get them on national television, I would think. Um, yeah, I, I'm not a Carmelo fan, and but it's like, who knows? Yeah, I guess that's a good. It's a good. It's a good. What if I like? I like where your head's at. Um, I need to. Uh, I need to ponder. You're saying so. You're saying truthiness, basically. You're saying truthiness with a chance to think about it. Yeah, I'm saying truthiness without knowing exactly where Carmelo's head's at. Right. Is he willing? Fair does enough. he understand where John Wall's at, and that he he could benefit a lot by having that guy passing the ball? But that means taking a little bit of a step back. Plus, you got Beal. It's not like Beal's going away. Yeah, no, no, that's that's fair enough. The one, the one uh, sort of thing I'll add to that is, Carmelo did not like, you know, comparing if he came to play with Wall and Beal. Not saying that that compares to the Olympics, but he did show the ability to sort of understand uh, sort of a different role in a larger context. When he really helped turn, he was part of what helped turn the U.S.'s sort of fortunes around in Olympic basketball. He and LeBron and, and a bunch of others, of course. But, you know, he, that, that was one thing I noticed is, is how he became in a lot of cases like, yeah, he would hit a lot of threes off the dribble from that international range. But he, in a lot of senses, became a spot up shooter sometimes, letting other, uh, other guards on that team create for him. Yeah, that's a good one. All right. Last one on the, the season as a whole in this truth or truthiness thing, although I'm not exactly sure how I'm phrasing this one, but stay with me here. Truth or truthiness. When considering what the other contenders in the East kind of went through this year, the Wizards are not as close to contending as we actually think they are. Truth or truthiness? That is truth. Yeah, I think that there's a lot that, you know, like I said sort of earlier, Wall and Bill have to grow up a little bit. You know, they, they need to show up more consistently when it counts. And you saw that from examples in the playoffs to how this team – dealt with quality opponents versus sort of mid-level opponents versus, you know, low-quality opponents this season. Um, and then then this team really is at, you know, they're not at a crossroads, I would say, but their components of the team are. Like, all right, the starters are pretty solidified. We'll see what happens with Otto or Gortat. But you have, like you said, your, your quote-unquote big three. Coaching solidified, which is nice because it didn't seem that that was the case during any real season during Randy Whitman's tenure. Um, but what what's going to happen with this this bench? And that's the bench is at a crossroads once again. We thought it was at a crossroads last summer and um, when they supposedly remade it. But uh, the Wizards find themselves in the same predicament. And that, that bench, even if the rotations tighten up in the playoffs, that bench is key to making sure your, your main guys get rest during the regular season and that even if an injury happens, that you're, you're – sort of able to fill in fill in the gaps and and have other guys come play and contribute and just to sort of tie it into what happened this year the wizards were very fortunate with their starting group they're starting five guys they basically were able to put them out there every game 
that all those five guys combined only missed 17 games. On the flip side, Kyle Lowry for Toronto alone missed 22 games. Toronto finished ahead of the Wizards. Kyle, uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving missed 32 games combined. That doesn't even count the games LeBron missed for primarily just to rest, I guess. But that, they missed 32. And Boston's top four scores missed a combined 57 games. So when you look at it like that, the Wizards still came in fourth, despite having, and granted, part of it was the bench and all that. But I'm just saying from an injury standpoint, the Wizards, this was a year where we really can't, other than Mahimi, which is not insignificant because he missed a ton. But in terms of the main guys we're sort of all talking about, the, the other three teams ahead of them missed a lot more games. Um, and I didn't even look at the bench for these other teams either, so can't talk about Mahimi. So the Wizards were close. With Wall and Beal, there's good reason to be optimistic. We'll see what they do in the offseason, but you also have to factor in these other teams. If they had had a little bit of better luck with health, maybe the Wizards aren't as close um, as, as it ultimately uh, worked out. Yep. All right. Uh, <laughs> stopping the conversation there. Like I said, we're going to now, uh, after that, we're going to we're, we're start talking ahead to the future. Uh, this, this last part is probably the longest part coming up. Uh, on some level, maybe the most interesting simply it's because it's it's new. It, we're, everything we've did at this point has been a rehash. I really thought it was a good it was a good talk um, to to uh, to get some things uh, back out there with, with with Kyle. Sort of, I wouldn't say necessarily put a final bow on the season because we're certainly going to be talking more and more and more about all that went on. Um, as we get into so our uh, player report cards and and and, and uh, I always keep saying report cards, but I, I don't know if it'll be that formal. But our player discussions about the season. Um, and uh, I'm excited. Like I said, I'm really excited to hear for you guys to hear <clears throat> the rest of this conversation because we really get into some interesting parts, including the idea of this summer league and how it's going to be. I think way more important than people are realizing, considering the Wizards don't have a first round pick, and simultaneously the D League. Right, there isn't one, but maybe it's time we start asking the question: Why isn't there one? And so Kyle and I get into that, plus a whole bunch more about the Wizards' uh, roster and situation. So I will get that for you guys up later in this week. Thanks, as always, to uh, Mr. Kyle Weedai for his time. Uh, he may have he may be living out of town these days relative to DC. But he is still very, very much part of the Wizards community and our our team here on the Locked On Wizards podcast. I'll mention, um, I don't know if I mentioned it in this episode or the previous one, but I have a, an article up on NBCWashington.com. If you go to their sports section and their, specifically in their capital games section, you will find it there about the what-if Wizards, the in chronological order, the eight most what-if moments for the Wizards this year and how those helped define this season. And if you don't go to there, you can just follow, uh, check out my or check out the Twitter feeds on I on uh, Locked On Wizards or at Ben Standing, and you will find the links there as well. All right, I'm gonna call it there. Thank you guys as always for listening. Um, you know, sometimes you guys like to shoot me emails. Do that. Bstandig1 at gmail.com. I've got a, a bunch of other topics to come up, but if there's things you guys specifically want to hear about, anything you you, know, you haven't heard me mention, anything you want me to go back to, any um, you know you can you can also of course ask for certain guests 
will do my best to see what I can do. Um, but, uh, yeah, please keep the conversation going offline as needed. All right, let's uh, go. We'll go from there. Thank you very much. Until next time, see ya. Deal gets open for three. Dagger! Oh, Wolf drives. Oh, Wolf got a shot. Dagger!